This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where certain things are fixed, the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. What up, what up, what up? What's going on, man? Oh, not a lot. Been doing a lot of stuff this week um, related to fundraising for Wellhouse. So, shameless plug. <laughs> yeah, if if you are able and willing Please. Uh, to support our cause of providing a place where people can be real, be relational, and be restored by the love and grace of Jesus, please support us by giving. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, because without the giving, we can't give you this awesome content. Yeah, I think we, so much of what we do um, is... I mean, everything that we do is supported by our donors. Yeah. I mean, we are a nonprofit. We're a church. So all of our podcasts, all of our sermons, all the food that we provide at our wells, like everything we do is supported by our givers. Yeah. Um, and if you want to give, if you're feeling called to, um, you can find a button, a give button on our website. And our website is mywellhouse.church. There's a... Um, depending on where you're listening to the podcast, there's a, a give button on the embedded on the player. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but depending my on well where you're listening from mywellhouse.church, there is also a give button on the website. Yeah. Um, and if you follow us on social media, there's easy access to it from there. Yep. Yep. Um, for sure. Instagram, just click on the link Facebook, tree. Yep. Um, anyways, what you drinking tonight, bud? Yeah, man, I'm going old school. Uh, so. Long story short, when I first turned 21, I started trying to learn about beer, and I started thinking about beer in terms of a tree. I've explained this metaphor to you before, I think. Yeah, it's actually not an uncommon metaphor. Oh, well, I had never heard it before. Yeah, there's actually Um, beer tree maps that you can buy and hang on your wall. Oh, well, I thought I was being creative. (laughs) Sorry, bud. Thanks for bursting my bubble. (laughs) Sorry. But... Uh, so I started thinking of the beer tree in terms of ales and lagers yeah. on two sides. And one of the first ales that I got introduced to was the New Belgium Fat Tire. Shout out Adam Chaney. This is one of his favorite, or maybe not favorite, but go-to yeah. uh, brews. So, yep, I, I had my friend Ben Blackwell in uh, this week to record the upcoming Kingdom of God for this series podcast. for this podcast. So got a bunch of different uh, singles for him to choose from, which ones he wanted. Yeah. Uh, and he, I picked this one up. He didn't drink it, so now I am. <laughs> well, I am super excited to, to hear all that. I wasn't present for the for the recording of, of those episodes. Yep, Clayton wasn't here. This, this is brand new content for everybody. Yeah, I'm super excited. And it's gold. Oh, I, I bet it is. I've heard him preach a handful of times now. Always good stuff. Yeah, it didn't go exactly the way I had it outlined, but, but I think it ended better? up better. Yeah. Yeah, I think it ended up better than what I had outlined. Yeah. So... I am drinking the same thing that I was drinking last week, or we were both drinking last week, which is the Pumpkinator, the St. Arnold's Pumpkinator, which is glorious and delicious and amazing. Um, but this one actually warms my heart because if you guys have been uh, watching or listening for a while, you know that I love barrel-aged beer, and this is a Pumpkinator that is barrel-aged. Yeah, that's why Clayton's drinking this one by himself. <laughs> Not a huge fan of the barrel age. It just, I don't know. It's, I know it's not true, but it almost feels like it's like got some tannins released in or something. And I don't but like it. It probably does a bit. Um, like Maybe, but like, I don't like it. Yeah. I mean, it, typically if you barrel age a beer, it's a bourbon barrel. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, which I guess would mean that it has tannins released. Yeah. It would have to already. Yeah, for sure. Um, anyways, cheers, bud. Cheers. That is just incredible. That is incredible. Incredible. Wait for it. <laughs> In wait for it. Credible. Yeah. Um, 
I actually remember uh, Fat Tire also being one of the first beers I ever drank. Fat Tire or New Belgium? Uh, no, Fat Tire. Okay, interesting. Um, you drink it over here? Yeah. Yeah. We were decking your attic. And oh yeah, I was I was on the I was on an ale kick then. Yeah. yeah. We were decking your attic. Amber, you had yeah. it, and um, it was really good. Yeah, it's just it's a good it's an amber ale. Yeah, uh, there's nothing special about it. It's just a very balanced amber. Yeah, no, for sure. All right, so we finished up the Nicene Creed last week. Yep. Um, and great, that t- great graphic on the God the Sun Part yeah. Two part. I was that animated graphic. I was, was super happy about that. Yeah. Um, so if you don't know, if you just listen to our podcast, which we have so many listeners of our podcast that don't go to our church. Yeah. Like, guys, come connect. on. Yeah, like, like, join our community at a deeper level. But we also appreciate you for listening. Oh, yeah. Don't stop even, listening. But even like, if you can't be a part of join us, the assimilate in, like join at a deeper level. But. Anyway, so if you don't know, Clayton is our creative arts director. So anything you see on social media, like that's this guy. And so he is growing. He's not a creative arts director by trade, but part this of... Is, this is one of those things that I got thrown in the deep end and was told swim. <laughs> yeah, well, part of it is at, at Wellhouse, uh, as the lead pastor, I have an approach to leadership that's like, if you identify the call of God in someone, you make yeah. space for them. <laughs> And as a church plant, we run a pretty lean operation. I mean, we record these in my home. Yeah. Uh, so we run a pretty lean operation, but like Clayton just has the call of God. And so I made a space for him and he's learning and like doing a jam up job. I, I really appreciate that, man. Yep. Um, if, if you go back and look at some of our earlier posts, you can see that I was learning. <laughs> um, but I'm starting to figure out this whole like designing graphics and stuff. But um, I was really upset with that because our planning software um, messed up again and posted it two hours later than I had wanted it to. And so it got four likes. Wow. Yeah, I was not happy about that. But um, if you don't follow us on social media, go follow us on social media. We're on, we're at Facebook at Wellhouse Church. We're on Instagram at mywellhouse.church. Yeah. Um, Go follow. Go do the things. Yeah, go do the things. But yes, so we finished the Nicene Creed. Yeah, we finished the Nicene Creed, and now we're working towards the Apostles' Creed. Yeah, we're going to work through all of the Apostles' Creed in this episode. Oh, awesome. Because it's all the same language. Right. They've just taken some things out. Mm -hmm. uh, Or the Apostles' Creed was first. Right. And the Nicene Creed added some things. But... Because at Wellhouse Church, both are a statement of faith. Yeah. The Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. Um, I want to go through it just very quickly, kind of 30,000-foot view, because we did the in-depth view with the Nicene Creed. Which, that's what the Nicene Creed really is, is a more fleshed-out version of the Apostles' Creed, would you say? It's a more philosophical version. Mm. Um, has a lot more philosophy they're they're combating something so the apostles creed think of it more as like primitive like we want to kind of define who we are on paper and so the original statement of faith yeah it's like it's the original foundational statement of faith the nicene creed comes in and modifies and refines the nice the apostles creed because they're combating areas Mm. Uh, oh, right, right, right. So because Arius is trying to deny the divinity of Jesus, they come in and add quite a bit of philosophy into the way they're communicating things. Okay. Um, that makes sense. Um, and also, if you are um, not a theology person and listening to this is going to bore you, um, there is a really good song put out by Hillsong comes from the Apostles' Creed. It's called This I Believe in parentheses yeah. the Creed. Um, go listen to that because it's beautiful and it I think in my in my own mind it perfectly represents the Apostles' Creed. Um, go listen to that. That's cool. It's good stuff. Yeah, I think and that, that's the, that's a thing that 
there's a whole lot of ways to do theology. Um, and I learned this a long time ago in ministry. In, in normal church, in traditional church models, which is where I spent almost 10 years in vocational ministry, in normal church models, we have singing and preaching. People will remember the songs you sing far longer than the words you preach. Yeah. And so for me, the theology in the songs that we sing is super important. Yeah. Um, and we have a lot of really, 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 a million times really bad theology in a lot of our songs. Like I just some of the songs that we sing, I'm like, did did we just sing that? I'm and, sorry, I'm laughing because we've had so many debates about this. Well, and but, I, I've like I've expanded the I've got a list of like songs that I'm just like cannot be sung at any church that I'm pastoring. Just to and it's long. <laughs> It's long, famous songs. They're now it's now up to like twenty or twenty five. Oh my gosh! Uh, Clayton's I'm, laughing, but like, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm thinking back on some of the debates we've had over some s very specific songs, like uh, "I'll Fly Away." Oh um, yeah, that is the most gnostic song of all time. Yeah, um, we we both kind of had a realization about "I Can Only Imagine Mercy Me" around the same time. Well, and then, like, uh, our dad introduced us to a band. Uh, I don't remember. It was, like, a real Latinx kind of feeling band. Uh, I don't remember. I was in, like, early high school. I have no idea. But they have this song called How Far Is Heaven. I have no idea what that is. Oh, dude, I have this song. I'll look it up. Um, I'll look it up in a second. But I, I was listening to my music the other day, and it was, like, an old song, and it popped up. And I was like, oh, okay, I could get to this. And like line one, I was like, what the? Uh -uh, I'm turning this off. This made me so uncomfortable. Uh, let me pull this up. I'm going to find this song. Um, and I, what, I, what's funny, while we're talking about music and bad theology, um, If God Was One of Us is not a song that deserves to be sung in church. Um, if God Was One of you've Us? You've never heard that song? I don't think so. Do if, I need to if, add it to my list? Yeah. Well, so it's not really a Christian song, but like a lot of people have tried to spin it that way. Okay. Um, oh, it's Los Lonely Boys. The song is called Heaven. And I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look up the lyrics here because if yeah. if we weren't gonna put this on YouTube, and I'm in fear of getting busted for copyright, I would yeah. just play it. But yeah, no, that's not a good idea. Um. So the song I'm talking about. All right, here we go. Opening line, Vominos, save me from this prison. Lord, help me get away. Because only you can save me now from this misery. I've been lost in my own place, and I'm getting weary. How far is heaven? That is the most Gnostic song of all time. So if you don't I know... I'll Fly Away was the most Gnostic Yeah, song I've changed my time. mind. I'll Fly Away is now the second most Gnostic song of all time. <laughs> if you don't know, Gnosticism was this second century heresy that a lot of people argue, and I'm not totally opposed to the argument that some of the later New Testament uh, writings are combating it already. But it's this idea that the material world is bad and the spiritual world is good. And because of that, our goal in life as a Christian is to get rid of this body through some special knowledge and float away to heaven, an immaterial world. Yeah. That's heretical. And so any, especially like in I'll Fly Away, it's like these prison chains and I'll, I'll fly away. Like that, that's Gnostic. Yeah. Um, 
I'm still struggling with. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> I don't think, I don't know. I don't know where I fall on that song, if I'm going to be completely honest. Um, For me, it's specifically verse three of that song. Yeah. Um, like a prison bird chained in a cage or whatever it is yeah. in this prison, I'll fly away. Yeah. I'm looking uh, it up now. My, my only thing is I have some like kind of regret about, about this song because you and I debated kind of heaven heavily in front of some students one time. Yeah, we did. I think about that quite often. Yeah, actually. I do too. I feel quite bad about that. That was not a, the time or the place to have that debate. Oh, here we go. No more cold iron shackles on my feet. I'll fly away. Like yeah. the most Gnostic song of all time because Gnostics thought that the body was a prison. Mm. And so if you see prison metaphors in songs, it might be quite Gnostic. Um, oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it might happen. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so back to the yeah, Apostles' so Creed. All of that to say... Make sure you sing good theology in your songs. Because yeah. if, if there's one thing I've learned about traditional church, and I know we have some other pastors who listen to our podcast. Um, and so I'm speaking to those guys right now. People will sit through bad preaching for good music. Yeah. They won't sit through bad music for good preaching. No. So... Make sure if you're going to do a traditional church model that you have good music and in the music you have sound theology. Yeah. Um, that, is, that is something that it's important to, to us here at Wellhouse, right? Um, and, and you and I have talked a lot about this. And if either one of us has a problem with the song, we automatically say we're not going to do it. And that's a part of my job as the creative arts director, right? Yeah. Um, and I may, I may be personally a little bit weird about this i was influenced by a guy named kyle dobbs who's the worship pastor at Sterlingwood church in, in houston and yeah fantastic one of my best friends and there was a time where kyle convinced me i'm not sure where he still stands on this but uh it was really formative for me that in church we shouldn't sing a song if it doesn't have a name of god hmm because if you can just sing an abstract love song, that's not a worship song. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And so, like, he just said that to me. And I was very young. I was maybe 19 Yeah. in my first, like, or in my second vocational ministry position when he said that to me. And, like, that was just really formative for me. And... I just began to realize thinking back and talking to people that people remembered our music much more than they remembered my preaching. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I just think the theology that we sing is very important. And so this, I believe is a very good song. Yes. Um, it, it's a, it's a great song. Um, and if you are a worship leader and you don't already do this song, I encourage you to do it. Yeah, for sure. Because it's, it's a beautiful song and, done well and it doesn't take much to do well um you could do it with uh, just a single guitar um and a piano um and it would be beautiful or just a piano or just a piano even i've actually heard that song yeah just yeah a piano. just on a piano it's is beautiful. really powerful um, anyways um that that is a song that represents the apostles creed yeah it's um, literally the creed yeah uh, like very like almost verbatim yeah um yeah. And it's beautiful. And if you, if we, I think we talked about it before, but the Newsboys, we believe, is, is the, the Nicene, Nicene Creed. Yeah. Which is the Creed we just finished talking about. Yeah. Also, another really good song that you should probably do. Yeah. And that one is just the Creed. Yeah. Beautiful song. Yep. Great. Um, easy access. Yep. Um, both of them are on Ultimate Guitar and Praise Charts. Okay. Um, Didn't yeah. know that, but yeah, yeah. great. Anyways, um, so. 20 minutes in. Hey. We haven't even started talking about the creed. It's barroom conversation, man. Yeah. <laughs> and it won't take long. We, Like I said, we've already talked about yeah. 
a lot. But so the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. That is all the exact same language we've seen from the Nicene Creed. Yeah. Now, the Nicene Creed added some things, right? Right. But that's all the same language. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Yeah. Right? So once again, all language that we've talked about and dissected. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Once again, all language that we've talked about. Yeah. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Here's the part where the Apostles' Creed gets a little bit different. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. So the Apostles' Creed has uh, an interesting addition there. Did you catch that? Yes, he descended into hell. He descended into hell. Now, where do we get this idea? I actually don't know. I don't either. I got no idea. Nobody knows where we get this. Really? It's not really a... People have a couple of scriptures that they allude to, but I don't think they're super clear. Um, the Catholics have this like, so real the, like the gates to the uh, the keys to the gates. Right. So I've actually heard heard that argument, um, but um, so maybe this is a good time to talk about it. Why is that a part of our statement of faith if we don't know where it comes from? If we can't point to it in scripture. Because you have been brought up as a Baptist. Mm. Which means that we're primitive, which means we think that we can only do theology from the Bible as our revelation. Nobody else thinks that. If Jesus is going to conquer evil, then doesn't that demand that he have the gates to hell? Or I mean, logic keys to the gates. I mean, logically, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Baptists don't think of, and primitive traditions in general don't do theology in this way. We try to formulate biblical theology. Which I think is valuable. Don't don't hear what I'm saying is it's absolutely valuable. Yeah, as saying that that's not good. But when you do theology that way, it's quite limiting. Yeah. Versus when you do theology from taking the character of God from what we've learned in the Bible and applying it at a much broader level, you can create a much more holistic theology. Yeah. For instance, it's the exact same idea where we get like purgatory. Right. Because we know that God is supreme God, and we know that there's a very limited requirement for salvation. Mm -hmm. So we need a place, in theory, to cleanse ourselves or purify ourselves of the leftovers to be able to get to a place where you can be, even be in the presence of the eternal one. Right. Okay. I mean, like, it's, I'm there. it's a logical... It's logical. Yeah, right? it... It is theology. Yeah. It's not biblical doctrine. Right. Um, so, but, but with that, um, what does that mean um, for, for the individual? Right. Um, this idea, like, what do you, t what do you do with this information of, of these creeds that we've been going through? Um, does that make sense? Like, am I explaining that well? I mean, you're asking a question, but like, right. I guess I don't. So, so over the past several weeks, we've been talking about the creeds. Mm -hmm. What is the individual? What can the individual do with the creeds now? Yeah. So, um, reciting them, mm. even on your own is mm -hmm. helpful. Um, and for, this is not as true in low church 
uh, kind of evangelical traditions, but high church uh, liturgical traditions, they recite the creeds in their worship services. Yeah. And so it's almost like, you know, I don't, this is not a great example, but it's the best one I can come up with right now based on your question. Um, a Protestant creed would be the Lord's Prayer. Mm. Like, right, we recite that in church. Like, it, it's become a part of Protestant culture. And so what that ends up meaning is that it's permeated the lives of our people. Mm. So lots of times in times of contemplation or meditation or even just anxiety, yeah, they recite the Lord's Prayer. Well, a lot of liturgical people do that with the creeds mm. to remind them who God is. That God himself is bigger than what is giving me anxiety. Yeah. Uh, a contemplative would recite the creeds in order to contemplate what does it mean that God is creator of heaven and earth? Yeah. What does it mean that he's the Father Almighty? Yeah. What does it mean that Jesus is God's only son? Mm. Um, so I think reciting them is helpful learning them, reciting them, um, offering them as forms of worship. Yeah. Um, even in your own devotion time is helpful, but I also think, um, contemplative and meditative prayer over them is helpful to get clarity on who is the God that you serve. Yeah. Sorry. That was just a random question that popped in my mind. And I was like, that should probably be answered. Yeah, so there are some great uh, books on the creed that uh, I think are pretty accessible. Timothy George wrote a book. I think it's just called The Creed. Mm. And then um, a, what do you call those centuries from like 16, 17, 1800? You don't call them mid-century. That would be medieval. What do you call those? Developing centuries? I don't know. Somewhere around that time. I can't remember. I think it's 1700s. Don't quote me on that, though. But a guy named Hans von Balthasar wrote one on the Apostles' Creed. Okay. And then there's another book called Credo, Meditations on the Creed, uh, that I can't remember who the author is. All of these would be great resources, and I'll link them in the show notes below uh, as I go back and edit this. I'll remember to do that. But all of these would be great resources for you to pick up to learn more about the creeds and how to use them as moments of spiritual formation. Yeah. Uh, to incorporate them into your own sacred spaces for formation purposes. Yeah. I mean that, that's really good insight. Um, and that, that was just a question that popped in my head. Like, what do we do with all this information? You know, um, if it's so important that it's a part of our statement of faith, what do we do with it? Yeah, so for me, it's something that I come back to. And so, and I think this is important. And I think it's, I'm going to go ahead and talk about it because it's on my mind uh, a lot. But I is recently been brought to my attention by David Capes. He's the senior research fellow at... Uh, Lanier Theological Library, which is a great resource to all pastors and Christians here in the greater Houston area. It's in North Houston. It is free. It is a theological library. Uh, They have over 100,000 volumes right now. They have 40,000 additional volumes on the way. Wow. Um, Just a great resource. And it is free. Wow. It is free. It's a nonprofit organization started by Mark Lanier who's a very famous and accomplished uh, trial lawyer. You should definitely go check it out. It's in North Houston. But all that to say, David Capes is also an adjunct professor for Truett Seminary uh, at Baylor University, which is where I go and I'm taking a class with him. And I've known Dr. Capes for a lot of years. He used to be a professor at HBU before he went to Wheaton which is uh, in Chicago and then moved back to the Houston area and is now adjuncting at Baylor while doing work with Lanier. 
And he brought to my attention that the resurrection narratives include both belief and doubt. Almost, and doubt not in a derogatory way. So, almost in a healthy way. And you know, I, I commend the Liturgist podcast for this, and Hillary on there specifically. She has this continuing metaphor that if you still believe at 20 the thing you believed at 8, that's unhealthy for human development. Hmm. Like if you haven't progressed in your beliefs from what you believed at the age of 8 to what you believe at 20 or 28, that is unhealthy human development. And if you're going to progress in your beliefs, there's going to be moments of doubt. Yeah. If you, because truly, and that's, that's our whole point. Um, everyone has to go through deconstruction. Yeah. Cause it's healthy. If you don't go through deconstruction, it's unhealthy and deconstruction by its very nature has doubt. Yeah. Um, so something I learned in a, a cognitive psychology class that I took, um, is that with the best way to, to fight off, um, like dementia and Alzheimer's, um, is by processing new information. Mm. Um, whether that means traveling and like literally making your brain process something new that you've never seen before or, um, processing, processing new sets of information, right? That would be researching and, um, trying to, um, deconstruct your faith, for yeah. an example, yeah. right? Um, that is the best way to keep your brain healthy. Interesting. Like, that is like working out your brain is by making it process new information. Interesting. Well, the reason that I bring that up is because even I have moments of doubt, not doubt in faith or my assurance of faith or my belief in God, but I definitely have moments of doubt in trying to understand who God is. I mean, the most recent one is how how can a God that is all-powerful and good, whole, all his whole being being good, also let the Holocaust happen? Yeah. Like how can a all-powerful God and an holy good God allow genocide? Yeah. That's a moment of doubt. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm questioning my personal experience of faith. No. But it's definitely a moment of doubt that I have to wrestle with. In moments of doubt, the creeds are helpful. Because mm. they take you back to the basics. To who God is and what he stands for. Mm. Yeah. Um, and and so there there's lots about the creeds that um, are important. Um, and there, there's a lot of beauty in them that has been lost in Protestantism. Um, uh, not Protestantism in general. Well, okay. Fair um, enough. Cause technically Protestantism would be anything that's not Catholic. Right. That, and that's a f- there are a lot of high church traditions within Protestantism that would still. Would mainstream Protestant be more. No, low church and specifically more evangelicalism. Evangelical. Because okay. mainline churches, Methodists, Presbyterians, mm. Anglicans, Episcopalians, okay. they are creedal. Okay. They recite creeds. So it's only evangelical. Specifically evangelicalism. That has rejected the creeds. Okay. And not rejected them, but like right. largely ignored them. And so um, so I've actually been a part of a Baptist church that was creedal to some extent. Um, they weren't fully creedal. No, but... Um, a truly creedal church would... The creeds would be the statement of faith. Yeah. And you would recite them both every week. Yeah. We recited the Apostles' Creed about once a month. Yeah, yeah. That's um, about how most... That's the level of commitment to the creeds that most evangelical churches give to the communion. 
Yeah. Right. You do about once a month. Most people do it on fifth Sunday, which means once a quarter. Yeah. I mean, we just <sighs> don't. Evangelicalism in its founding was trying to run away from tradition. Right. And because the creeds are tradition, they ran away from them. Mm. Now, you can never run away from tradition. Yeah. It's inherent to who you are. Yeah. So all we did was make our own tradition removed from the other tradition. The salvation history. Mm. Or like not removed, but definitely in our own bubble. Yeah. Because we're not creedal. We right. don't believe in relics. We don't, you know, we don't have all these long standing traditions of the church. We've just abandoned them. Mm. And, and that's that's really sad at, at, at a fundamental level. It at least shows us that, because, you know, and to another extent, I, I just forgot about them, but Lutherans would be creedal too. So, like, the guy yeah. who starts the Reformation, right? he didn't abandon all of that. No. There were some things he was trying to abandon. True. Good things that he was trying to abandon. But even evangelicalism, in some expressions, took it too far. The pendulum was swung too far the other way that we wholly removed ourselves to the point that we don't look anything like what the tradition of the church has been except that we claim the Bible. Mm. And not even the same Bible. No. Um, that's actually a very important distinction to make. And we'll talk about that. One day on another episode of Pines and Perspectives. I think the, it's already on the content plan. but Maybe, but the formation of the Bible, uh, what's in it, what's out, what the different traditions have in their Bible. Because yeah. if you think that Catholics are reading the same Bible that you are, or that Orthodox people are reading the same Bible as anyone, you <laughs> are mistaken. Yeah. Um, we all have different Bibles, and even Luther wanted to get rid of James because he thought it was a works-based faith. Yeah. Um, so many people have wanted to get rid of Revelation. I mean, the canon is highly debated. And so we need to talk about that on another episode. We do. Um, for sure. So getting back to the actual text of the creed, it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Mm. So a much more um, streamlined kind of traditional version of the creed, whereas the Nicene Creed was broken into these kind of three slash four parts. Um, here we have, you know, believe in the Holy Spirit, but... That's really the only statement we get on the Holy Spirit in the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. The rest of them, Holy Catholic Church, which once again, Catholic, does not mean Roman Catholic. It means universal. Yeah. Yeah, not necessarily unified. It means universal. Mm. Uh, It means all of the church. The communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body. Mm. Uh, That's important. Um if you don't think that's important, go read 1 Corinthians 15. Paul seems to think it is the most important fact. Uh, I would also encourage you to cross-reference it with Ezekiel 37, uh, which is the Valley of Dry Bones. Um, absolutely vital to our faith. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, what what we can learn here today um, is that what's happening in these creeds um, doesn't necessarily always come from the Bible. Um, yeah, no, it doesn't. Um, and and that's okay. Um, I think it is. If you, if you think that your theology can only be formed from the Bible, you are going to have a very, very limited view of God. Um, and quite honestly, you're going to have a very conflicting view of God. 
Um, because what ends up happening is if you think you can only do theology from the Bible as your starting place, what that means is the only thing you can work from is what's recorded in the Bible. And you have quite differing views of God recorded in the Bible. Yeah. Right? You have a God that encourages people um, in the Canaanite conquest narratives to do some quite heinous things. You have a God who is claimed to be all-powerful, and yet some quite terrible things happen. Yeah. Um, you have a God of the Old Testament who seems very wrathful. You have a God of the New Testament who seems very gracious. Uh, you have a God who seems to be providential, and yet we can't explain genocide. Um, you, you just, if that's the only way you can do theology, um, you end up with a very limited view of God because of that. And you end up with a, you don't end up with a very well-rounded theology because at the same point, you know, I think I talked about this in another episode but like if I can't make space for a purgatory in my own theology, I don't know how I'm letting John Calvin in heaven. Mm. If not, he's just a murderer. Because mm. if you don't know, John Calvin murdered people by drowning for people who believe different than him. And specifically their view of baptism. So, like, I need, for me personally, I need a purgatory for people like that because yeah. the church and people of faith have done heinous things in the name of God. Yeah. Um, we've talked about it before on this podcast. <clears throat> but um, some of the, the, the bad things that really happen within the church and, like, uh, the, in, in, in about mid-century, you know, with the... Uh, with the Crusades and the things related to it, and um, Crusades are early. We, I'm sorry, you said yes. mid-century. I, yeah. I said mid-century, mid-century, but um, that's not one of our finest moments, people. No, um, that's quite that's quite terrible. Um, yeah, yeah, it was quite terrible. Um, so, um, something else I guess we could learn is that these creeds also. Um, what they are great way to finish this. These are the, the essentials of our faith. Yeah. Right. Um, and Christians across the board believe these things. Yeah. So I will say the, he descended into hell thing. That's debated over. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, because any primitive traditions are probably not going to believe that. I mean, I say that. I don't know. It's, tradition and literature have such a pronounced effect on us. Yeah. So, like, have you ever heard, like, the, the statement, like, Eve eats the apple? Oh, yeah. Do you know where that comes from? The Sunday school pictures. <laughs> no. It comes from John Milton. Oh. In Paradise Lost, Eve eats an apple. Mm. it's not like it's, it's just embedded in literature. And because in our early stages, everybody was required to read paradise lost because we lived in Christendom, right? Which we no longer do, but uh, the apple became the pervasive fruit of the false story. Mm. And so it's like literature and culture and tradition are pervasive to even contemporary culture that maybe some people still believe that Jesus descended into hell, but I'm going to bet that a lot of primitive traditions don't believe that. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know where I fall on that. Um, but it would shock, honestly, it would shock me if you did. Yeah. But to be honest, that could be one of those things that, um, maybe he didn't because we don't actually know. Um, well, it, he it, could have. 
it really makes it weird. You gotta you gotta know what you believe about the afterlife and your theological anthropology. Yeah. Even in order to have that conversation. Yeah. Because if that's true, then you have to believe in some sort of intermediate state. Mm, yeah. In which someone can go between the realms, which would lend itself to a purgatory. Yeah. Uh, you also have to know whether you have like um, a body or you know a soul sleep. Like you have to know what happens with your afterlife and your theological anthropology in order to even answer that question. I happen to have studied this in a lot in patristic theology, and so I kind of know where I stand on it. So I have a p- position, and like I'm I'm for it. I'm okay. Now it does contradict what I think happens to you if you die. Right. I think if you die, your butt's going to sleep until the parousia, until the second coming of Christ. Yeah. When Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today you will be in, be in paradise. When your butt goes to sleep, it sure feels like today when you wake up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm fully okay with yeah. there being soul sleep. I don't think you're going to wake up if you died right this second. The next second, you're going to wake up in some kind of spiritual, ethereal realm. Yeah. God made you body, soul, and spirit. You need the body part to exist. Yeah. Um, for sure. I'm right there with you on the, the soul sleep thing. Um, but, and I know we have previously said we got to be careful about saying that Jesus can do certain things that we can't do. Right. But. There's a um, di- yeah, so there's a difference in this moment in that he's doing something for redemption. Right. Right? You, um, you're not dying on the cross for people's sins. No. That's unique to the person of Jesus. Yeah. As is his conquering of evil. Right. Um, absolutely. Um, so, I don't know. I guess this is something that I need to look at a bit, a bit more. But, yeah, probably so. I think most people in our tradition and world probably haven't looked at it. Yeah, but but honestly, like even if that's not something that you think he literally descended down into hell, it could just mean he has control over evil, huh? Yeah, so if you wanted to chalk it up to that level, I mean... I think that's fine. It, it I don't think be, he literally descended. Right. We talked about it before. I, I don't believe in a, a three-tiered cosmology like that. The no. heaven's above us, and then we're here, and then the yeah. earth is, like, in the core of the... Like, hell is in the core of the earth. Like, yeah. I, I don't think anybody actually believes that anymore. So, I... No. <clears throat> but, um... It does become a bit inconsistent when you think about it as... Um, Jesus actually did literally ascend, right? Now, maybe he didn't go up, but like he actually went to heaven. Um, yeah. And well, so, I think for me, it's more he's seated at the right hand of God. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, what? Wh- where is God? Okay, I don't. Yeah, heaven. Maybe that's what we should call it. Um, he. Yeah, he's in... But, like, it's not up. No, it's definitely not up. It It is in another dimension or time and space. Like, yeah. metaphysically, we know it's not up. Yeah. Um, it is outside of what we know. Yeah. Um, so and it, so, ascension may look like it goes up, but it doesn't end up. No. I'm okay if you want to say he went up and vanished. Yeah. And goes somewhere else, like yeah. wholly other, like cool. Yeah, like if if you think that heaven is literally going up, a place above us, I'm not with you. Yeah, no, and I don't, I don't know if very many people are there anymore. But I would think not. But it's, I've it's, been shocked a number of times at what people believe. Yeah, um, but. It, it could become kind of inconsistent when we talk about hell, uh, like Jesus descending into hell. That statement could also just mean that he has control over evil because he actually did go to heaven, right? Or is now seated at the right hand of God, right? 
Yeah. So, so the, if we talk about talk about hell that way as like more figurative, then wouldn't we have to talk about that as figurative as well? Yeah, um, you. So just like just like in algebra, whatever you do on one side, you, you have to do, do on the, the other. other. Um, absolutely. Whatever you're making up about what Jesus does in those three days that he's dead. Yeah. You've got to like, that's got to be transmittable over to the heaven side for yeah. sure. Um, so if you believe that there we go, just figured it out. If you believe that, um, Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God, Maybe you kind of have to believe that he transparently descended into hell. Yeah, for me, though, like, Jesus has a body right now. We've seen the deified body. Yeah. That's unique to Jesus. If you died today, you're not getting a body. True. You won't get a body till the general resurrection, according to Paul. Yeah. So it's unique to Jesus. Yeah, I didn't say it wasn't. No, 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 I know, but I'm just clarifying, like... Yeah. That ability mm. is unique to Jesus. Absolutely. Don't think that when or you die. Or at least die, I think. We'll have another episode on this, soul yeah. sleep and afterlife stuff. Yeah, we absolutely I, I eat this up. This is what my, my, I tell people all the time that my master's degree is in patristic theology, which it is. I also tell them it's specifically in patristic soteriology, which it is. Even more so, it's actually in patristic theological anthropology. But even within that, <laughs> it's more devoted to the experience of the afterlife within theological anthropology. If you didn't catch that, <laughs> I didn't either. It's okay. <laughs> um, I heard some actual literal Greek there. <laughs> you heard zero Greek there. That's not true. Some of those are, are um, Greek-based words. No, they have their root in Greek. Right. But. Therefore, it's Greek. <laughs> you know, like 35,000 American I or know, like English I words know. come from Greek. I know. It's like my big fat Greek wedding. Every word <laughs> come from Greek. Oh, my gosh. So true. Well, oh guys, this has been the Creeds. We've rambled. It's late. Yeah, we love we're you. We're going to bed. Good night. Love y'all.